0: How are we this morning? Yeah. So you're good and you're good. Everybody else is a question mark. Um, hey, I'm glad that you're here today, whether you're here in person or you're gathering online. This is going to be an important day for us, and we're going to unpack a very common passage but I think we're going to see something significant, even beyond just maybe the familiarity of this passage in John three sixteen. But I think what we're going to see ultimately, and hopefully what we see ultimately, is how generous God is, and just the very nature of God is one of generosity. Of course, this is a season of generosity. We talk about being generous. It's not just within the church. It's outside the church. Everybody seems to be more generous and you know, and and to be able to give and all these things, giving and exchanging gifts and also just giving things to total strangers, maybe paying for people's coffee or people's food. And those kinds of things happen this time of year. But really the very basis, whether if somebody's in Christ or not in Christ, the very basis of which we do this extends because all human beings are made in the image of God and we serve a generous God. Can we say amen to that? We serve a very generous God. Have you noticed also... When we start talking about people, sometimes people are hard to understand. anyone else feel that way? Is everybody easy to understand? Anyone? Raise your hand. Are people hard to understand? Anyone? People are hard to understand. It's hard to understand what people's motives are. Because sometimes when we look at someone, we think, oh, that's why they did what they did. And sometimes we look at them, and we can totally have them pegged and have them figured out. And then there's other opportunities where we're like, I have no idea why you did what you just did. That was totally out of the blue and unpredictable. Here's one such story. A couple went Christmas shopping. The mall was packed, and the wife was looking around. She was in a hurry on this particular day, and she was with her husband, and so she's looking around, and she's kind of like mind her own business. She's checking off the list, getting stuff taken care of. And then she looks around, and she can't find her husband. And she can't find her husband, so the husband, she's looking around. And she's like, where in the world is he? So, so she just kind of, she's like getting a little frustrated because, again, she's got a lot of things to do, and it's very time-sensitive, and the husband is nowhere to be found. A couple of minutes later, the husband calls her, and he says, Uh, hey, honey. And she's like, where are you? And he's like, oh, yeah, about that. He said, remember five years ago when we were in that jewelry store and we were in the jewelry store and you looked at that really expensive diamond necklace and you wanted that necklace. And remember, we couldn't afford it at the time. But then I told you that later on I would buy you this, this diamond necklace and the, the wife's like she's like a little giddy and she's like got almost about to cry and 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 she's like yeah I remember that store and he's like oh awesome baby he says I'm in the coffee shop next door exactly gasp see guys I just did you a favor right there do you hear that gasp that was all of the women in the room that's what that was it's like sometimes we just don't know why people do what they do. And like, even though we may think it's going to turn out one way, it's like people just totally surprise us. And, and one of the really cool things that we're going to see ultimately in this passage is, is this individual, as we get into it, Nicodemus was very, I believe, very surprised at the simplicity of Jesus's message because he himself was a, a complex and wise man. He was a Pharisee. He was he was somebody that other people would look to, but yet there was something about his pursuit in spiritual things that was that was lacking in his own attempts uh, to to be one with his heavenly Father, and yet he has this amazing exchange with Jesus. You see, when we get into this passage, what we'll ultimately see is Jesus. Where it's so familiar to us, so I can just say this: Jesus. It talks about just a way of, of exchange or just a way of being one with the Father. But the reason why that can, Nicodemus can be one or you and I can be one with the Father, it's because of what Jesus has done. So we're going to celebrate what Jesus did today. And we're going to cover this very familiar passage. I invite you to go to John 3, 14 through 16 is what we're going to read together and then we're going to dig deeply into it, deeper than you've probably ever gone before. So John 14 through 16, this is what it says in John three fourteen. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We're going to cycle all the way back to this, but I want to introduce really where we're going in this talk with just talking about something and piggybacking on what we know about Jesus in this very familiar passage, what we really know about the Father, because the Father is also generous. But I want to talk about something. In 2012, we introduced ideas into the church. Some of you were here for this. Some of you were not here for this. We introduced four different ideas. There was belong, become, beyond, and begin. There was four different things, but uh, you can show those now, Matthew. So the first thing we talked about was living beyond. And then the first week in the series I mentioned, belong. And then also we talked about becoming. So becoming we talked about last week. This week we're going to really settle on this idea of being beyond. What does it mean to be beyond? We're going to look at not just ideas that we came up with, but we scoured the scripture and we said, what are some defining characteristics of Jesus and what of those defining characteristics of Jesus need to infuse everything that we do at the church? And so we came up with these four different things, so nifty. They all begin with B, you know. I don't know what that means about us, but it all begins with B. But one of them was beyond, this idea of living In thinking beyond ourselves. And how do we do that? I want to ask you that question. How do you do that? Are you someone who's just kind of inundated with your own life, or do you have the ability to think outside of your own life? Do you have the the ability to serve others outside of your uh, context? Are you someone who's consumed with what's going on in your family, and what's going on with your work, and your pursuits, and your desires, and all of these things, or Are you a person who who not only observes those things, but also you see beyond your own life to say, okay, I need to think beyond myself. This is the very nature of Jesus. When we look at this oh familiar passage, we see Jesus, and it's really the Father, sending Jesus to bring this message of living and going beyond yourself for the benefit of someone else. And that's what we see here. We ultimately see the Father exerting power to help someone else. We live in a day and age where there's so many power dynamics. People people are just using their power to say, hey, look at me. Look at me. There's power. You young people, you're in such danger of this on, on Instagram, even on Facebook, for those of you who dabble in there and Snapchat and every other thing that's out there for social media. It's this idea, hey, look at me, look at me. It's a a matter of saying, hey, I'm important, I'm powerful because I have a platform. While there are positives to social media and there's positives to just saying, hey, I want to be noticed, but also what we see in the world today is people using these power dynamics to say, hey, look at me, even if it means not looking at you, look at me. People use power dynamics now to shame people into silence and submission. So now they're using their power to overpower somebody else's voice and to pound them into submission. We see this, don't we? Do we see this culturally? am I the only one. Power dynamics at play. Because of these power dynamics, there's a lot of people who, who are simply, even Christians, not doing anything or not saying what they should say because there's fear of being canceled. It's because they feel the pressure of somebody imposing power dynamics onto them. Power dynamics are also, in this, being told that the only way to love people is to rewrite history. It's the only way you can love people. Again, it's, it's imposing power dynamics onto us. Politically, we see this in seats of power, where people only seem to want more power if they have seats of power. So it's less about those that they're representing, but it's more about them uh, attaining more and more power to keep them in positions of power and that's certainly not of all all politicians this is not what i'm saying but but all of us if you're aware at all you know that this is a a growing phenomenon has been for decades and also it seems with these the power struggle it seems that that the dynamic is such that that there's only a certain amount of people who are actually benefited by some other people's imposed power dynamics. So they impose power upon the masses, but it really doesn't benefit everybody. It's only a certain amount of people. Now think about that in light of what we just talked about and what we just read with John 3.16, particularly. That God has ultimate power and that He would use His power and His authority and His name in sending His Son so that those without power could be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. That is an amazing truth. Do you receive that? Because as just as Paul said in Romans, you see at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In that season, in that place where we had nothing to offer God. That he offered for us something that we could not muster up ourselves. That we were the one who we thought we had power as human beings. Trying to assert ourselves because of our fallen nature. Each one trying to use their power dynamic to lift himself above everyone else. And the gospel message is such that speaks right into the heart and desire of every single one of us. You see, at just the right time, while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I think this is an amazing time in history to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm not just using this as an exaggeration or just to to prove a point in a message. But I believe if we would really look at this, this particular passage and you really look at the generosity of God and you really look at how our Heavenly Father is using His empower to empower those who are powerless with the Spirit of God, if we were to look at it through that lens, our minds would be blown and see the opportunity that while the world itself is, is struggling to ascertain power, that instead we would be empowered by the Spirit of God and that now we're not using our power to lift ourselves up, but we use our power to benefit the world. So while the world itself is trying to pull and take and to try and gain their own little power dynamic and power struggle, but for us not to play that game, but yet be infused with the Holy Spirit of God and then to bring good into the world and to glorify our God in the process. That is why I think this is one of the best times in history to be a follower of Jesus because the light shines the brightest in the darkness. We simply can't look at what's going on in the world and be so so inundated with what's going on in the world that we become pessimistic. Instead, we should become like Jesus and not like the world in this season. That God would use his power to help the powerless by infusing them with, His power, which which is the Spirit of God. That is a truth that all of us need, and that's a truth that not all of us have received, sadly. Augustine, the great theologian, church historian, church father, he said this, God loves each one of us as if there were only one of us to love. This really spoke to me this week when I was studying for this message. Because I think even... When we start looking at John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that we start to not see ourselves in an elevated place and saying that God loved us. Instead, we just kind of whitewash and he says, well, he loved the world. Of course he loves me. But God loves each of us as if there was only one of us to love. And that spoke to my heart. Hopefully it speaks to yours. The message is true. You see, God's motive in sending Jesus is love. God didn't have some hidden agenda in sending Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't that God had to exert like more power. It wasn't like he was trying to, to do something and trying to shift the world into something. He literally sent Jesus because of love. Understand that, that God has and had all authority before Jesus came to earth. But before Christmas, God already had all authority to do whatever it is that he wanted to do. Before Jesus came, God was, he was full of love and he was full of justice and he was full of compassion and he was full of kindness and he was full of mercy and he was full of truth and he was also full of grace. Sending Jesus, it wasn't like this was, you know, just God's third option. Or God's fourth option or fifth option. This was plan A for God. That He would look at us with at us at the soul level and in such an endearing way that God the Father would know that the only way that we could be right with Him is by sending His Son. So as we celebrate Christmas. Sure, we we celebrate the birth and and all of the nuances that are going around the, the nativity scene and Christmas. And all that's amazing. It's all the stuff that's in the scriptures is profound. But at the end of the day, understand why Jesus came. Why he came. This would have been confusing for Nicodemus because Nicodemus would have thought, that if he just kept the rules as a Pharisee, if he just gained some knowledge as a Pharisee, if he could just do these things, then, then he would be one with God. That's actually a form of legalism. It's not the way to, to, to know God. Instead, he goes to Jesus, and the Scripture says that he goes to Jesus at night, possibly because he was a little embarrassed to go during the day that he'd be seen by other people because he was a spiritual leader that other people would have gone to talk to but yet he even knew even in the scouring of the old testament and even in his understanding of of the prophet the law and the prophets of the old testament and all of the commentary around it that there was something missing there was a component that was missing there was something lacking in his understanding so he goes to the one the miraculous one he goes to the one who has the the utmost wisdom he goes to the one who has a knowledge of the scriptures that no one else had he went to the one who had who Who had something on offer for him that he could not find on his own. So Nicodemus, he lands upon Jesus through this interaction. And Jesus shows Nicodemus something that I don't think Nicodemus would have even understood or fathomed beforehand. And it's this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When we look at this passage, just hold that on the screen if you would Matthew. When we look at this, this verse particularly, we we impose some English language upon it. Here's what I mean. We look at this and for God so loved in other words, we start looking at this passage I think not in the way that that it was intended and not in the way that it was intended by John when he is capturing this gospel message. We look at this as saying, for God so loved the world. In other words, that God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. But that word so doesn't necessarily mean that. That word so, it doesn't mean so much that he gave his one and only son in the way that we would just infer that because of the English language we would just read that and say for God's God loved the world so much we twist those words around we God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son instead that word so is is the Greek word hutos or who who easy for me to say and it means this in this way not how much or to the degree it means in this way for God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That God loved in this way. Because what he's doing is he's mentioning something that when he uses this word so, the Gospel of John it uses this word, hutus, many times, and every time that John uses this in his gospel, he's not doing it in a way to show how much. Instead, he's, he's bringing connection to say in this way. So now when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this is so key. When he's talking to Nicodemus, he's saying in this way and he's connecting a dot that Nicodemus would know so, so well. He's connecting a dot of something that happened in Numbers 21 verses 4 through 7. This is what's mentioned in verse 14. So when Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus, he says, in this way. So he's connecting what he just said with what he's now saying in verse 14. Let's read it again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. We're not going to take a lot of time and look into that Numbers passage. You can look into it later. Again, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 7. But what John is mentioning here, if you just casually read this, you're like, if you're like me, you casually read it and you're like, I don't even know what that is. Moving on. Oh, there's John three sixteen. 16. That's familiar. I know what that is. There is this moment where Moses is leading the people of God and the people of God are, are doing what they did and... Honestly, what we still do sometimes, they're kind of like talking amongst themselves, and they're becoming disgruntled. They're not one to trust God, and they're becoming disobedient. As a consequence to that, God sends snakes. They happen to be venomous snakes. Some of those venomous snakes bite people, and some people die. That's the facts. You can look it up in the scripture. I'm not going to whitewash this to make it more kid-friendly. That's literally what happened. But that's not where the story ends. That did happen, but if you were to continue reading that passage in Numbers 21, you know that that there was uh, something else that God told them, that God told Moses. God told Moses, take one of those snakes and basically put it on a pole, and then to lift that snake on a pole. Why is that significant? Because this, again, is pointing ultimately to the cross. They don't know it at the time, but it is. So now the snake is lifted on a pole, and God told Moses to tell the people that if you are around the snake, you become fearful of the snake, or if you get bitten by one of these snakes, if you look at this pole, you will be healed and you will not die. So God is using extraordinary means to draw them back to himself by using a snake. I was a little uncomfortable with that when I even read that because I just don't like snakes. And to think that they would deliver me from some sort of, you know, like ailment, I just really struggle with that because I think snakes need to die. Personally, but that's my own conviction. We can disagree and hopefully still be friends. Not a big fan of them. I know there's some friendly ones. They're all friendly if they're in cages or not alive. Anyway, back to this word so. For God, so, meaning in this way. What Jesus is connecting Nicodemus to is this significant moment in history of which Nicodemus would know very, very well, and ultimately where Jesus is going in his life, that he's going to at the cross. So just as the, the snake was elevated on a pole and that the snake would be something that the people would look upon and it would bring deliverance and it would, be, it would bring healing, now Imagine, if you will, Jesus being lifted on a pole and crucified that ultimately would bring redemption and healing for those who repent of their sins, of course. So this, this idea of being lifted up, is the. it has a dual meaning. It means to be crucified, but it also means to be glorified and exalted. It means to be... To be crucified, just as we know that Jesus was crucified, but it also means to be glorified and exalted, to be lifted up. Let's move on just a a little bit. Taking a slow roll through this passage. For God so, meaning in this way, he loved. I don't know about you. I really enjoy a good fire. Does anybody else enjoy a good campfire particularly? Like, I really enjoy it. I, I love sitting around it. It's one of the few places... It's, it's kind of odd, but it's a dynamic that you could put a group of men around a campfire and we can be there for hours and no one will say anything. It just happens. Right? Men, am I right on this? You don't have to say anything. You just sit around the fire and you can stare at the fire. And I don't know what else is going on upstairs. Maybe not a whole lot's going on upstairs, but, but we just do this. But I think generally, we, we just tend, people just like a fire. We like to sit around just the warmth of a fire. You know, the warmth of a fire is a really cool thing because the fire doesn't care how smart you are. It doesn't matter how connected you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of clothes or if you have a little clothes. It really doesn't matter. The the, the fire doesn't discriminate amongst who sits around it to gain warmth. Such is the same with the love of God. God doesn't discriminate for those um, who are who are poor, those who are rich, those who are connected, those who are lonely, those who are married, those who are single, those who are serving, those who are not, those who are introverts, those who are extroverts, those who live on this side of town, those who live on that side of town, that the love of God does not discriminate because for God so loved the world, and the world is people Jesus didn't come to save systems. He came to save people. And by saving people, that their systems would change. That we would become kingdom people. That we would ultimately use his power to then seek change in the world. We'd bring good into the world or bring glory to him. But God so loved the world, so loved the people, that he sent Jesus for people. So in a, in a place and time where people are caught up in power dynamics and uh, you, where everybody's saying this, this needs to be the thing you're most passionate about. No, 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 not that. You need to be passionate about this. Why don't you speak up more? Why don't, why don't you, you need to be silent about this. You just need to take a back seat. You need to take a front seat. You need to pick sides. Instead, we need to take the posture of Jesus and say, you know what? I'm going to bring about good in the world. And the way that I'm going to bring good in the world is allowing the Holy Spirit of God to speak through me and then. And then his work in me. And if the Holy Spirit is in me and working through me. I'm going to bring good into the world. And I'm going to be a non-anxious presence in the world. Which ultimately, wouldn't that be amazing for us to be able to do that? To be like Jesus in that way. You know, the, the love that's mentioned here. It has a sense of wonder to it. To me anyway. Perhaps to you. But the wonder of this love cannot be truly experienced unless you first realize that you're unworthy of his love. If we just receive the love of God as if it's just another possession or another, another thing that we deserve because maybe we live in the South or, or we, we have some sort of spiritual pedigree. If we just think that we could just add that love as just another appendage on our life, we're actually missing out on what this love is because this love is only received fully when we understand that there's nothing that in our life that's worthy of receiving it because that's what grace is. It's by grace through faith that one comes to know Christ. By the unmerited, unearned favor of God. So the very beginning where we start to understand and appreciate the love of God. is for us to come to terms with our own sin condition to realize that we ourselves are unworthy. We were unworthy of his love. that we didn't, we didn't earn it, we didn't work for it. It's not something that was passed down to me from someone else, meaning another human being. The only way for us to experience that love fully, abundantly, eternally is to realize that we were once powerless and that Christ died for the ungodly. And it's that ungodly part of us that kept us from truly loving and appreciating who Jesus is. You see, the showing of God's love at no point is, it's not a self-willed love. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it's not a self-willed love and it's not just some spontaneous type of thing. The showing of the Father's love was in reference of those being loved. It was God's plan all along. We see this also in Romans 5, 7 and 8. Very rarely would he, would, will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this is throughout the scriptures. This isn't cherry picking a verse to prove a point. For us to truly celebrate the Christmas season, for us to truly to be the generous people that God wants us to be, For us to truly, to be able to to live abundantly as Jesus says that we can. It's for us to to come to terms with, we had nothing to offer God, but God offered so much to us. So that uh, us in our brokenness and in our sin condition, Christ through the Father took initiative to do for us out of his heart and generosity to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. you know, I I said this about the word hutus, the word so. I I don't want to trip you up because obviously God loves us a lot, right? So that word, although it it, it doesn't necessarily mean how much, we know there are other passages that talks about how great the love of God is. So I just want to speak into that. Though we are incomplete, God loves us completely. Though that we're imperfect, He loves us completely. Though we're lost and without direction, He loves us completely. Though we're flawed, He loves us flawlessly. Though our sins bring Him sorrow, His love will one day wipe away our tears. Though we may reject God, His love brought the rejection of the Son to bring salvation to those who had rejected God. So the depth of the love of God is profound, but that's just not necessarily what is Being referenced in this passage. As I bring this message to a close, I want to just draw one more thing out from this passage and then give some summary ideas and then a big takeaway. When it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the Greek term there is the word one of a kind. That Jesus was one of a kind. Again, elevating and exalting Jesus as the son. He was one of a kind. And that he would endure what he endured willingly, obediently, fully for us. Even when we were powerless to do anything for him. Ultimately, we live in the reality of this. He gave, so we should be people who give as well. He gave. What what was he willing to give? He was willing to give his one-of-a-kind son to endure such suffering on the cross. Though the cross would... Would bring death, but also it would bring exaltation. It would bring glory to his name. But it would also bring about those of us who would repent of our sins, it would bring about our ability to be saved and to know God ourselves. God's limitless generosity reveals his generous heart motivated by love, his limitless generosity. That God loves in this way, with the limitless generosity. What else could the Father give? Is there anything else of greater value that the Father could have given for us to be saved? For us to, to then use our salvation not as, as, as an excuse to, to sin more abundantly, instead for us to give generously? Is, is there anything else of greater value that the Father could have given? than his one-of-a-kind son? Of course, the answer is rhetorical, because the answer is no. It just shows his limitless generosity, and it's, it reveals his generous heart that's motivated by love. Second, generosity proves that your faith is for real. We saw this last week. James two fourteen through 17 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but he has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Generosity proves that your faith is for Real. Also, summarize the bottom line for today, it being this, that we should pursue connecting these things together, pursue radical generosity by adopting the radically generous nature of God. We should pursue radical generosity by adopting the radically generous nature of God. God never stopped giving when the people of god needed a leader god was generous to provide a leader when the people of god needed a prophet god generously provided a prophet when that other group of people needed a prophet god generously provided a prophet when the people needed written instructions on how to to live a holy life god generously gave them the bible Throughout the span of years, when, when there's been a people group who've needed the gospel message, God has generously spurred individuals into action to send them to faraway countries with nothing more than faith in the gospel message, in either a complete or incomplete Bible, to bring about the gospel message because of God's generous nature. God has never stopped giving. And that says something to us and it should say something about us i want to tell you a story about something that happened a few weeks ago aj and i got invited to go to a conference and the conference was in locust grove and it was kind of a it it was a neat thing but it was also kind of weird because we really didn't know hardly anyone there and the conference wasn't really big so you couldn't get lost in this whole crowd i don't even know how many people were there a hundred two hundred maybe and kind of in this small room, but it was neat, it was engaging, and, and it was kind of fun, but going into it, we just didn't know what to expect. So we go in, and, and it's at a large church, but again, but it's in a small room. It's not in their sanctuary, and the, the pastor had, get, had been saying some things and giving us some things to think about for this time of year, and all of it was insightful. I was furiously writing down notes, and I was inspired, and then he did something that totally caught us, I'd say us, meaning I'm sure everybody, but A.J. and I off guard. He'd given this presentation, and he talked about being generous. And he said, and it's, he, said in the, he says we believe that God wants to spur generosity in other people. He said, so the way that we believe that God is, wants us to do this, as he said, we want to give $1,000 to every church that's represented here. And we're like, I don't even know you. You know, and then I'm like, is that check going a cash? You know, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> of course, it's going to cash. Um, but but it's like we literally I had never met the guy until that day. And because we had registered and every every church that was represented, they literally got a thousand dollar check to do what it was that God. Wanted them to do. We were blown away when I opened the envelope and I looked at the check and I'm thinking, wow, only God. You see what he, what the pastor who was generous and his leadership was generous to give us, all the church this money, give us particular this money. What he didn't know was, we had already had two different campaigns working in the background that was gonna be the thing that we drew attention to over Christmas. Usually we do Gifts uh, maybe for those who are connected with Casa, and over the last couple years, that that's been okay. But I also realized that somebody else was meeting those needs, and we were just kind of like taking space that was already being provided. So we thought it was being beneficial, and it it was. I'm not saying it wasn't beneficial, but there was another church already providing those things. So we started to look at it, say, God, what is it that you want us to do? And so when he gave, when that pastor gave that thousand dollars. Um, then it was kind of the answer to prayers and solidified some things. So I brought that, that $1,000 reality to the elders, and we sat and made the decision, and we're, we're going to use this as, as maybe just a down payment to maybe spur more generosity from you. So there's two different things that we want you to have an opportunity to give into through not just this week, but this this season. You can either give in the box or you can give online through the website, through the Church Center app, either way, but give into the missions tab and the money's gonna be dispersed out of that. You don't have to if you write a check again, not just today, but in the weeks to come, if you write it, just write down missions. Don't write down sign, don't write whatever is gonna be mentioned here in just a minute. I spoiled one of them. But don't don't write those things down. Just put missions. Because we have a responsibility of making sure that goes in there, and we'll give the money, we'll put the money where it needs to go. But the the two different things that we've decided that people can give into, and to we've already distributed five hundred dollars into each one of them. The first one is this something I'm really excited about unveiling for you is a new sign. This is what our new sign is going to look like. This will be constructed over the next several months. We are we have we're in work on getting bids for this. It's a replacement for this sign. You may sit back and look at this and say, well, isn't this sign just about us? Okay, you got here today. You didn't need the sign to get you here today, right? You you got here all by yourself. This sign for us isn't just something to, oh, hey, look, we're just moving money around, and now we're going to construct a sign. We've known that the sign has needed to be replaced. The sign isn't about us. The sign is about connecting what it looks like inside the church to those who drive by and may be curious as to what the church looks like on the inside. When they look at the sign, that sign on the outside looks like what the church looks like on the inside. Uh, our sign looks like it was fine maybe for 30 years ago, whenever it was constructed, but I think we all can say that, that the current sign is outdated. So this is the, this is the new sign design this is what uh, somewhat of what it will look like we're excited to be able to present this to you about being beyond ourselves and the reason why it kind of landed in this particular week is this sign isn't about us it's about being beyond us about everyone who drives by that they would see who we are not just just we are as people which is important but also that they would even see us not as a, as an antiquated church but yet we're a church that is relevant and trying to provide spiritual direction to the lives of people in Lawrence County in the 21st century, 21st century. So you can give to the sign, and then also this isn't going to be on the screen, but some of you probably already know this. We're going to give you an opportunity to give to the DR missions trip. That missions trip, the, the team is getting stronger. It's growing. If you still want to go on the missions trip, you can. There, we we've had a deadline, but you can still opt in. It is going to be time sensitive in the next couple months, where you're going to have to really contribute a lot more money to be able to opt fully in. But you can do this. If you don't want to go on the missions trip, you can give in the missions tab, and that money will go to support the mission. Those of us missionaries who are going to be going on the field, and what you would be providing for are all the VBS supplies, all the game supplies, or different things, maybe food. Uh, So any money that you give in that way, it will be distributed, A, towards the sign or the DR missions trip. But all of that through the, the missions giving will be sent throughout the church to bring good into the world locally or good into the world globally in the DR when we go there. So we're really excited about these two opportunities. We want you to be excited about those opportunities. And again, this isn't just a one-time thing. You can give. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. You can opt in to, to do some giving today if you want to. That's completely up to you. But this is not just a day of giving. This is a season of giving and of being generous of those of us who have given their life to Jesus is just following the generosity of God. So we're excited about it. We want you to be excited about it. But let's pray now, and let's get ready to prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. Father, we love you. We thank you for the the beauty and the simplicity of this message that was brought today. The God you so loved us, that in, in that way, that you saw fit not to just send your son, but also ultimately knowing that that would send your son to the cross. For his crucifixion. But also. His glorification. So Jesus as we. Partake of these elements. We do so in memory of you. In honor of you. In glory of you. We'll take the bread. Remembering your your body that was nailed to the cross. And we'll drink the juice in celebration of your blood that flowed on Calvary's cross. Not to just that you, that you died, but why you died. That it was the Father's plan A, that those of us who repent would be one with you. So, Jesus, we praise you. Father, we honor you. And Spirit, we ask that you would just pervade all of our hearts in this moment. Those of us who are in good standing with you and are in fellowship with you and they're saved can freely partake. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are not in good standing with the church and we're living a disobedient life. Spirit, give us the ability to refrain. And for the person who is not a follower of Jesus at all, I would also ask that they would refrain. Amen.